Psalm number 64, beginning in verse number 1. You see, this is a psalm of David. There were two particular times in David's life that David had extreme circumstances in his life. One was he was hated and despised and ran for a long extended period of time from Saul. And Saul was one that had loved him. He had been a contemporary of David and he had been a friend. And he turned against David and began to chase him. Then you see another time when David's own son Absalom begins to chase him. He says, hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who whip their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privily. They say, who will see them? They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. Verse 7, you see the end of this. The Word of God says, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away. Verse number 5, the Word of God said, They encourage themselves in an evil matter. If the Lord will be my helper this morning, this may be more of me just pouring my heart out than it is a message. But if you'll listen, I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of encouraging yourself in an evil matter. As I look through this scripture, there's probably a lot more. But I see three distinct groups of people this morning that without a shadow of a doubt encourage themselves in evil matters. Now, this seems like such a broad thing, but I'm going to narrow this down. And if the Lord will help me, I'm going to bring this home to us this morning. But I see, first of all, the first group of people that tend to encourage themselves in an evil matter are the proud. You see, in Proverbs chapter number 6 and verse number 6, the Word of God said, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And the first one on God's list is a proud look. He put a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood in the same sentence. And God looks on pride with the same disdain that he looks on hands that shed innocent blood. And I'm afraid this morning one of the great downfalls of America is our pride. But in religious circles and inside the Baptist church this morning, I say this with tenderness and with a broken heart because I realize that I'm human and I'm flesh and I have the same pride problems that many of you have this morning but there are multitudes that will die and go to hell from our church pews because they cannot swallow their pride they're so arrogant the word pride in itself means a sense of one's own self-worth and self-achievement Men who are deceived by Satan and religiously lost naturally view the truth of God as a threat to their own selves. 
they view that threat in such a way that it must be dealt with in a vicious fashion. I'll tell you, if you want to see how vicious the proud can be, you just touch their little point of pride and you'll find out how vicious proud people can be. It may be their position. It may be their little assumed authority. It may be their little opinion. How dare you do something without consulting with me to find out what my opinion is. A lot of folks have got a real high opinion of their self and they believe they know so much and then their pride and then their arrogance. See, they're threatened by the simple truths of God's Word. Listen, this morning, I I like folks that can just be simple, humble country folks. I'm not much for the highbrow atmosphere, but I notice everywhere I go, folks that are puffed up in pride, and you watch them, they ain't got a reason in this world to be proud. I mean, they live in a dump, they ain't got nothing, ain't never had nothing, ain't going to never have nothing. And they walk around their nose in the air so high, why is that? It's part of human nature. And when the proud are unable to elevate themselves or to promote themselves or to assert their opinions, then they begin to tear down others. The Word of God said, hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity who whit their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. And you see the proud this morning as they encourage themselves in an evil matter when they're unable to promote themselves, when they're unable to do anything to make themselves look better, what they naturally do is try to cut everybody else down. Are you listening? That's what the proud do. And that's how they encourage themselves in an evil matter. They want to make everybody else look like a fool. They begin to criticize and tear down and talk down against everybody else. Some ordinary sinners. I'm not talking to leave the proud alone for a minute. There are a lot of ordinary sinners that want to justify themselves going to hell and they look for the faults in everybody around them. I'm sorry this morning. I don't want to disappoint you. You're not going to have to watch me very long to see faults in preacher Mike. I'm just human. I'm just flesh. But I'm telling you this morning that the proud want to cut down everything and everybody and you listen to their words. Words. The Word of God says the tongue is set on fire of hell. There's a lot of destruction that can take place just by somebody opening their mouth and wagging their tongue. You see character assassination everywhere you turn. People want to talk somebody down and belittle somebody else. Hey, listen today. Belittling somebody else ain't going to make you a bit better than what you are. It may make the ignorant think you look better, but you're not. And then you see the second group of people who encourage themselves in an evil matter are the perverse. The Word of God in Psalm 64 refers to them as the workers of iniquity. Iniquity in the Word of God is synonymous with religious sin. But by definition, the word iniquity means to perverse or to pervert something. The perverse are those who take the Word of God and the truths of God, religion, church, and Christianity, and somehow pervert it to make it fit into their little mold. 
They will not receive correction. They know everything. They're not going to be told anything. They're self-righteous, blind leaders of the blind. The Word of God says of this sort of they which creep in the houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's amazing to me this morning how many people I can talk with and have a conversation with, and they can be so religious, but they don't know a thing about the truth. Sometimes people sicken me trying to talk about God and talk about religion and talk about salvation. And these perverse this morning know just enough to be dangerous. They convince the ignorant that they are some kind of super spiritual being. I've ran into them in almost every church I've ever been in. I remember going to a church that most of you have been to in this general community several years ago. And I walked into that church and I'd come to preach as a guest preacher and uh, they were fixing to have Sunday school and some poor, precious, ignorant individual stood up and said, Now, I don't know much about this and I'm not much of a teacher. Well, bless your heart if you ain't much of a teacher. Sit down and shut up. Let somebody that God's anointed to teach stand up and teach. And then they get through going through all this field and they say, I don't know much, but Granny so-and-so's here. And if you've got any biblical questions, I'm sure she can answer them. Well, Granny so-and-so had convinced that crowd she was some kind of a spiritual icon and she probably didn't even know God. But you see that everywhere you look, folks that have mingled the Word of God with superstition. They know what they think this book says, but they ain't got a clue what this book says. I see folks all the time that mingle the Word of God with superstition. I was with somebody a while back, me and Sister Lloyd, and they were trying to be spiritual. And they said, God helps those who help themselves. My wife looked at them, and I looked at them, and they looked like they swallowed something they shouldn't have had in their mouth, and said, What? That ain't in the Bible. God helps those who can't help themselves. As long as you can help yourself, you don't need God. God helps those that are humble and meek and spirit. And God helps those who cannot help themselves. But folks want to be so spiritual. And they'll tell you their opinions for the Word of God. You see Acts chapter number 16. and verse number 16, it came to pass as they went to prayer. A certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us. Luke is telling here how that he was with Paul and a woman, a young woman who was filled with a demon came to where they were, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. She was preaching everywhere they went. She was saying, these men are servants of God. They've come to show us the way of salvation. And she's full of demons. That's what the Word of God said. I see them everywhere I go. Folks who want to stand up and they want to tell somebody else how to get some help, where to go and what to do, and they themselves don't know the truth. A good message in a perverted mouth. The perverse, they can talk a good talk, but they don't know how to live it. They'll twist Scripture. How do they encourage themselves in an evil matter? They twist the Word of God to make themselves appear to be right. But they have no Spirit of God. 
That's what separates the men from the boys in this thing. Do you have the indwelling Holy Ghost of God? Do you have the Spirit of God? You see, I see a lot of folks, they can talk real big. And you get around them, you think they're so spiritual that you need to watch out because they're about to sprout wings at any moment. They're just fixing to fly off. But you find out and you go to watching them, their whole household is in turmoil. Their young'uns are going to hell. Their grand young'uns are hellions and rebellious. And there's no God and there's no glory in the home. And there ain't nobody right in the home. And what you find out is that they can talk a real good talk, but they've lived so wicked and ungodly in front of their children. Their children know there ain't nothing to it. Their children know there ain't nothing right about it. Their grandchildren know they ain't got no power to pray and get a prayer through to God. And there's nothing real about the thing. And they perverse the things of God by talking it. But they can't walk it. It takes the power of God to walk with God. Anybody can talk that mess. Then you see finally, and I'm going to stop right here if the Lord will be my helper. And this is where my heart's broken this morning. You see the pitiful. The pitiful are another group of people that encourage themselves in an evil matter. The pitiful are those who have suffered some tragedy and much pain in their life. I look around and in America today we're faced with an epidemic of violent satanic hatred. On every hand you look at from grade school to the grocery store, from the local parks to the prisons, you see men and women and boys and girls that are possessed with and controlled by a loathsome antichrist spirit of hatred. Do y'all believe what I'm telling you this morning? You go to Walmart and you accidentally jump in front of somebody in line, you'll find out what I'm talking about. There's somebody sitting in this building this morning that you found yourself driving out the road here a little while back and made a little bobble with your car and got down to the intersection. Somebody pulled up beside you and got out wanting to fight. Why is that? Because people have this vehement hatred. They have this boiling inside of them and it's satanic and it's the spirit of antichrist and you watch this and you see how they're controlled by it I'll give you three or four things right here real quick, number one the human nature has a capacity for hatred Galatians 5.19 says the works of the flesh are manifest which are these, adultery, fornication uncleanness, lasciviousness idolatry, witchcraft and hatred I'll stop right there. It is in your natural man to hate. You naturally know how to do that. You don't have to learn how to hate. That comes natural. But one of the greatest enemies of mankind and one of the largest obstacles between man and Jesus Christ is the desires and the designs of the depraved, unregenerate human heart. Stay with me here for just a minute. Without a doubt, sin is a great deceiver. Nobody would question this morning that Satan, the father of lies, is a tremendous deceiver. But deep within the recesses of your human heart, seated on the throne of the human soul, is the greatest deceiver that's ever lived. 
Jeremiah chapter 17 verse number 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and who can know it? And this morning people don't want to hear about how desperately wicked your human heart is, but it's just that way. You don't need any help with that. It's natural and it comes to you. While men in a limited way know how to experience phileo love or a brotherly love, without the aid of the Holy Spirit of God, mankind does not possess the ability to produce true love. That's why some of you are starting to figure out that after you've got saved, your marriage is a real marriage for the first time because you've never really had true love in your home before. The agape love of God. It's impossible for the natural man to produce that kind of love. You can't do it. You don't know how to do it. And one of the reasons and one of the ways that I recognize and I know that most people are lost is they don't know how to love right. Their love is relevant. It's relevant to other things, to other places, to other people. They love based on their response to somebody else and how they love them back. But you see, there's a catalyst for this hatred. The catalyst, if you'll stay with me, I'll try to help you here. I'm going to try to park here a few minutes. The catalyst for this hatred is hurt. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 14 says, The spirit of man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear it. This morning I realize and I understand that we live in a perverted nation that's full of people that are hurting in all kinds of ways. But this morning in our very midst, inside the confines of the four walls of this church, my heart breaks this morning because I know there are people that sit here today and you're hurting. And that hurt is a catalyst for hatred. There's so much today by way of child abuse... Children are treated like animals and like dogs. And I heard a report this week of a child that had been abandoned, left alone, and left in a dog cage. There's all kinds of scars physically and mentally. There's spousal abuse. There's mental abuse. There's abandonment this morning. People that feel so alone and so abandoned. The hurt that comes inside the human heart. When a man and a woman walks down the aisle and goes through the marriage vows. And then the person that you've loved and you've given your life to. You've shared your secrets with. You've shared your heart with. And all of a sudden that person turns on you like a vicious dog. And you find yourself abandoned. And people sit here under the sound of my voice this morning. And deep inside the recesses of your heart, there are hurts that you don't even know how to deal with. Children that's been abandoned by their parents. Children that feel like nobody understands. All they've ever been done is kicked around and beat around and treated like a piece of equipment or like some kind of dog. This morning there's a catalyst for this hatred. There's all kinds of abuses and emotional hurts. Sends men into self-defense mode and they begin to harden their hearts. The natural reaction for someone that's been hurt 
is to hurt back. But what happens when you hurt back and it still don't feel any better? Then there's a natural part of you that recesses to the inside and you begin to hate. And somehow or another in that hatred, you begin to find some solace. When you can't lash out anymore, you can move inside and hate. There's complications to hatred. Satan complicates hatred. Stay with me this morning. Somebody needs some help. I'd like for you to get some help this morning. Satan's a liar and in 10 million worlds, he does not want you to know the truth. Every sorrow, every painful experience, every broken heart, every pitiful, degrading, lonely situation in your life is a direct result of Satan's lie to Eve in the Garden of Eden. He caused it all. Every heartache you've ever had, every pain you've ever felt, he started it. But he won't take credit for it. Then Satan begins to blame God. You see how satanic it is when men come home drunk and beat their wives, beat their children and chase their children into a closet. And they, in a drunken stupor, finally pass out somewhere, wake up the next day sorry for what they've done, and they'll look at their wife. And they'll say, if you'd have just had supper cooked, it wouldn't have happened. They try to turn that table and put the blame on somebody else. That's what Satan does. That's satanic. I know a man filled with demons that was a major part of an independent Baptist church in this county. He was about 50 years old and he had a teenage little girlfriend at West Wilts High School that he met on the internet. He was having an affair with that little girl and he got caught in the middle of that affair. That man was so depraved and in his mind he was so full of self-worth he literally took pictures of himself and his wife and children on their vacation and emailed them to his little teenage girlfriend he thought he was so special when he got caught and that thing blew up in his face he looked at his wife and told her if she'd have dressed nicer if she'd have dressed different wore high heels and tried to pretty herself up a little bit it wouldn't have never happened That's a great big fat lie you know it. It's satanic when men get in trouble and then they try to turn the tables and blame somebody else for their problems. This morning there's complications to hatred because Satan tries to play you. And he'll play you for a fool. And he'll get you so wrapped up in your pain and sorrow and in your hatred you're in bondage and you can't get away from it. I'm going somewhere there's comfort in hatred. You say, Brother Mike, that sounds perverted. What do you mean there's comfort in hatred? Well, then why do you have so much trouble getting away from it? The pain, as awful and hurtful as it may be, is your pain. It ain't nobody else's. It belongs to you. And you feel stripped and degraded. And the desire to hate in you is so strong that it, it seems like the only reasonable source of comfort that you can find is to boil that hatred up inside you because it makes you feel better. Now listen, the reason you won't deal with the pain and you won't give up the pain is because the pain justifies the hatred 
Are you listening? As long as you can feel that pain, you'll keep those wounds just as raw as you can keep them. Oh, you may forget about it for a little while. But then something comes back up and you'll rub that thing raw. And when you rub it raw and you feel that hurt deep down in your heart, what you've been through, nobody understands what you felt. And when you feel that, that hatred bubbles up inside you. It's perverted, but it's the only help you can get. Folks that don't know God encourage themselves in an evil matter. Are you listening? Hatred will eat you like cancer. It'll cause you to live a miserable existence and then it'll drop you off in hell. The human emotion clings to and guards the twisted memories that afford you the ability to keep those wounds fresh so you can keep hating. I've lived through some of this and I know what I'm talking about this morning. I watched as a teenage boy as my wife grew up in an abusive home. Miss Lori talks about this on occasion, and I don't believe I'd embarrass her this morning by bringing out the fact that Miss Lori's daddy was one of the most violent, wicked men that I ever knew. Her daddy would get mad, and the more he'd think about something, he'd come home, and he'd beat her and her sister unmercifully, and throw them in the basement. He'd think about that and sometimes he'd even bring people over to watch while he beat them. And other people would sit and he'd beat them and beat them and beat them. And finally, Lord's older sister ran away from home to get away from it all. And I watched that and I watched my wife go through that. And I watched her hold the hatred on the inside and the pain. And her nerves went downhill. And she began to have panic attacks. And she began to have anxiety attacks. My wife got saved by the grace of God. And she still had problems with that. And one day I said, honey, if you ever get any help, you're going to have to want some help. Right. And my wife got to a place where she had carried that pain so much that she had clung to it so much. It was hers. Nobody else understood it. Nobody could understand where she had been. Nobody could understand what she had gone through. And it was hers. But she was going to have to let it go if she ever got any victory. And I said, honey, you're going to have to walk some help. And she heeded my advice and went to God and began to try to get some help. For her hurt and her pain. And God supernaturally healed Sister Lori and helped her. Then we began to try to love her wicked daddy. I didn't know how to love him. I didn't know how to talk to him. I'd laid in my bed at night, many a night, and figured in my heart and in my mind a convenient way to kill him. I hated him. How could I how could I be a witness to him? How could I ever get any help with this for myself? And there was pain that I had to let go of. And I had to give to God and let God take care of. And there came a day we didn't know and we didn't understand. But God loosed the power of God and let us witness. And he came to our house one day. We lived in a little thirty five foot camper trailer. And he came and it's the first time in years he'd ever darkened our door. And I knew something was up. And he sat down in a chair and I talked to him. And God opened up the door and I started in Genesis and went clear through the maps explaining to him why a man must be born again. And you know the strange thing about that? He listened, Brother Wesley. 
He listened. He sat right there in that chair and listened to me. And finally, the Holy Ghost got to deal with him. He said, it's getting late. We need to get in bed. He said, I brought my shoes and my, and my suit. I'm going to church with you in the morning. Amen. Amen. I don't know what to say. We got to church that morning. God, the Holy Ghost showed up in Sunday school. God moved through that building, swept through the preaching hour. I got up to play the piano for the invitation, and I no more than got up. He busted out of that pew, piled up in that altar, wept like a baby, and cried on God for mercy. God saved my daddy-in-law, the wickedest man I'd ever known. Twenty-four hours later. He found out he had terminal cancer and was dying. He lived one year. During that one year, Brother Ricky, one of the worst enemies I ever had, became one of the dearest friends I ever had. Every night in their house while we were waiting for him to die, he'd say, he, he didn't know all the religious lingo. He didn't know just what to say. He'd say, youngins, y'all gather around. And Ray and Betty Sue, y'all come on in. We get in the living room here. And Mike's going to talk some of that Bible talk. <laughs> and every night I preached the Word of God. And we'd pray in family altar in his living room of a man that a few years ago I hated with all of my heart. But God gave us victory over that. And God gave us his soul. And he got saved by the grace of God. Amen. And I watched him become the dearest friend I ever had. He'd never told my wife he loved her. And all of her life, she'd never remembered hearing her daddy ever say, I love you. But when he got saved, Brother Larry, he couldn't say it enough. Every once in a while, he'd call her from the bedroom to the living room. She'd get in there and say, Daddy, what? He said, I just want to tell you I love you. Kiss me on my head. He couldn't say it enough. This morning, is it worth it for you to encourage yourself in an evil matter? Is it worth it to you to hold on to the pain and the misery that's hurt you and haunted you for years? Is it worth it to you? I don't think so. You say, Brother Mike, you don't know how I feel. You don't know what I've been through. I know one that knows what you expected of me and a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. And the Word of God said we hid our faces from him. He knew what it was to be betrayed by his dearest friend. I don't think we understand what a betrayal it was when the Lord Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was his secret place. There went no, nobody but him and his disciples knew about that. That was their secret place they went to to fellowship with God. And you think about how dirty it was of Judas to bring those soldiers to that secret place. How defiled he must have felt. How rejected. How abandoned. And all of his followers, when he came to the cross, and there was only a precious little handful of women and John. He knows what you feel. He knows the hurt you've been through. You said, Preacher Mike, it's perverted to hold on to that pain. Well, then why can't you let go of it? It is perverted. And it's encouraging yourself in an evil matter. But if you could let go of it, there's a Savior with open arms that can fix you 
and take that hurt away and replace it with a love that you never even knew existed. You never even dreamed could even be there. Listen, you say, Preacher Mike, why are you saying all that this morning? There's folks sitting right here in this building. You got stuff in your heart they don't nobody know about. You've been rejected. You may have been physically abused. You may have been mentally abused. You may have had things taken away from you. You feel like you can never get back. But there's a Savior that loves you this morning. And the first commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. And the second, liken to it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. And you can never fulfill the commandment of Christ with that hatred in your heart. You've got to give it up somewhere. You may be lost this morning, and that may be the very thing that keeps you from getting saved. As you know that if you meet Christ at the cross of Calvary, you're going to have to give up your hatred. You're going to have to give up your pain. And that pain gives you the right, you think, to hate. For all these years, that's the only thing that's made you feel any better, is that ability to hate. This morning, if you're willing, if you really want help, there's help available. I don't know your problems this morning. I ain't picking on anybody. I don't know where anybody's at or what you're going to. But I know the Holy Ghost of God has rung this in my heart and in my mind. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privily. They say, who shall see them? They search out iniquity. They accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thought and every one of them and the heart is deep. But verse 7 says, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. And all that see them shall flee away. If you'd rather have your hurt than you would God's forgiveness, there'll come a day God will shoot at you. And He'll make a public example of you in front of everybody. It may be here and it may be at the great white throne judgment of God.